0: psalm for the summer and this psalm concludes section one or book one of five books of psalms most people don't realize that psalms is divided into five different books and book one includes psalm one through psalm 41 and then you have four more sections of psalms each one uh, has an emphasis So this is the last psalm in book one. And if you look at the end of psalm in your Bibles, you'll probably see a division. It says book two, psalm 42 through 72. Now, we're doing something I think is very unusual. I've never heard anybody preach entirely through psalms, verse by verse. Dr. Criswell went through the entire Bible. He He would read a chapter, and then he would preach a textual sermon. He'd take one or two verses, and he'd preach it. And he did that through 17 years. But I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach verse by verse through all the Psalms, or all the Bible for that matter. Charles Spurgeon uh, was very much like Dr. Criswell. He preached through the entire Bible uh, back in the 1800s. And he did something that was uh, unique for his day. He would read the entire passage. For example, he would read an entire psalm. And as he was reading it out loud to his congregation he would just make comments on each verse. And then there would be a song, maybe an offering or something of that nature. And then he'd take one verse out of that whole passage and he would preach the one verse. And so when you look at Spurgeon's sermons, he preached the textual message. But what we're trying to do is go verse by verse through every psalm in the Bible. And uh, next year we'll pick up at Psalm 42. So, Anyway, we're at Psalm 41. We're going to divide it into three little sections. Uh, Verses 1 through 3 make up the first section. And we'll discover that this is the person that God blesses. Verses 1 through 3, the person that God blesses. Verses 4 through 10, the second section, uh, David applies those first three verses to his life. He says, I want to be blessed. He asks God for the blessing in verses 4 through 10. And then the last three verses, 11-13, through 13, we see that he has assurance that he's going to receive the blessing. So three sections. So let's look at verse 1. Blessed is he who considers the poor. Now, it's interesting to me that when we come to this last psalm of book 1, it opens very similar to the first psalm. Two major psalms start off with blessed is the person. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's how that book, the first book of Psalms, opens. The last book, the last of Psalms in this book, Psalm 41, opens in a similar way. Blessed is the person. Now, who is the person that God blesses? Look what it says. Blessed is the person who considers the poor. So, if you want to be blessed, here's the secret blessed is the person that considers the poor how many times have we seen something like that in the new and the Old Testament it's like it's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible now when you look at the passage you need to look at it carefully when it says consider the poor it means consider the plight of the poor that doesn't mean just think about poor people it means consider their plight and do something about it and notice the word consider there notice it's plural it says Blessed is he who considers. It's not plural as much as it is a present tense verse. So that means blessed is the person who continually considers the poor. You're not blessed because once you gave some a buck to a bum on the street corner. That's not going to get you a blessing. Blessed is the person who continually considers the poor. The plight of the poor if you want to put it that way and the word consider carries with it this idea of thoughtfulness contemplating the poor uh, giving careful thought to the poor so it's a person who's continually thinking and giving careful thought to the plight of the poor now when you look at this poor person Which poor person, or poor persons, are you to consider? Was David going to consider the poor in the Hittite nation? Was he going to consider the poor, you know, some heathen nation? No, he's considering the poor among God's people in Israel. And if we would relate it to today, we would say that blessed is the person who considers the poor among God's people. And in America, that would mean those that are in the church that are poor. We're to take care of poor people, and especially among God's people. Now, if you have an opportunity to help somebody that's not part of the church, that's fine, too. But this is the person that God blesses, those within the ranks of his people. So there's the principle. person who God blesses the person who considers thoughtfully the plight of the poor. Now, how is that person blessed? Three ways. Each one begins with the words, the Lord will. Watch this. Look at the end of verse 1. The Lord will deliver him. Look at verse 2. The Lord will preserve him. Look at verse 3. The Lord will strengthen him. Notice the verb will. If you consider the plight of the poor now and regularly, then in the future, the Lord will do something for you. So what you do now determines Your future blessing. So let's see how the person is blessed. Look what it says Blessed is he who considers the poor. Number one, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Now notice that the blessed person is not exempt from trouble. Doesn't say he'll keep you from trouble, he just says when you get in trouble, you're not going to have to face this alone, and He's going to deliver you from the trouble. That's how you're going to be blessed. The stingy person, the miser, the person who only lives for self, the likes to look in the mirror all the time, who thinks the highest good in life is shopping for themselves, Uh, that's not the person that's going to be delivered in the time of trouble so why are you delivered when trouble strikes? because you consider the plight of the poor, so that's that's a blessing isn't it? Okay. now look at the second thing, look at verse 2 not only that, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive I think that's important, that's the second way you're blessed, you're kept alive and the result is Right in the middle of verse 2. And he will be blessed where? In heaven, right? Oh, he'll be blessed on the earth. Isn't it so interesting how we have changed the focus of where the blessing comes? We act like God blessed Israel on the earth, but he blesses the church in heaven. Where in the world did we come up with that idea? The blessing is blessed. you're blessed while you're on the earth. He's going to keep you alive so you can stay on the earth. That's what that verse says there. He will keep you alive and you will be blessed on the earth. Now heaven's a great place, but I don't see any of us trying to get there too quickly, are we? And there's a reason for it. We want to live. And God says that he will keep you alive so the blessing is earthly. And he says at the end of verse 2, you will not deliver him, he's talking to God, you will not deliver him to the will of his enemies there are people who want to destroy you you just don't know about it they want to destroy your body someone want to destroy your business some want to destroy your family and behind it all Satan but there are people who want to do something to you and God says basically through David that they will not succeed now that is the person who is generous will be blessed in this way but not the miser. You know, we talked about the needing canned food for the poor people that we, we every week we bring a dollar and a can of food. Some of us do it every month or whatever. But you bring four or five bucks and a couple cans of food for the poor. And you know, some of you, and I and this is one case where I can say not me, fortunately, but some of you complain about having to give a buck to the poor. Or a can of food. And yet you want a blessing. You know, the only thing a miser is good for... He's as good... A he, miser is like a hog. You know? Just hogs it all at hog. The only thing a hog is good for is to die, isn't it? Hog does nothing when he's alive except eat. Take it. In. But when he dies that he... He's good for something. He's good to others when he dies. He's not good to others when he's alive, but he's good to others when he dies. And some of you are going to be good to others when you die, when you leave all the money that you've accumulated and all the property, and and you die and people are going, finally, there you go. So, the person who's generous to the poor, thoughtfully considers the poor, is the one that God blesses, and he blesses while here on earth. Then verse 3, The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You're not exempt from getting ill, but he promises to strengthen you when you are on your bed of illness. Now notice, it's not immediate. Not like you're going to be healed immediately. There's no guarantee. That's not the blessing. But you are given assurance that he will strengthen you. That's good isn't it? Having that assurance that you're going to get better even though it's not immediately. And it says at the end of verse 3 He will sustain you on your sick bed. In the Hebrew it's literally, He will turn down the sheets. How do you like that? Go to a better hotel, you know what they do? They turn down the sheets, put a piece of candy on the pillow for you. You know you're being treated right when people turn down the sheets. Literally it actually is He'll turn over the mattress because in those days (laughs) Uh, <clears throat> mattresses were mats were very thin that people lived uh, slept on, and you know if you were sick, the pressure on your body was very intense. And in order to relieve the pressure on, off the sick person's bodies, they would turn over the mat. Well, that means the Lord cares for you; He attends to you when you get sick. You don't go through sickness alone. So those are the blessings. Now, it doesn't matter what kind of trouble you get into. Whether it's sickness or whether it's your enemies coming against you, you have a promise that through it all, God will be there and you will not be forsaken. But the stench, you do not have that promise. So there's part number one. Okay, so we have a principle. The principle is, blessed is he who contemplates thoughtfully the plight of the poor person. Now David appropriates this to his life. Look at verse four. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. But David is now asking, requesting, that uh, God be merciful toward him. Right. Why? Because David has considered the plight of the poor. He puts himself in this category. And yet, he asks for mercy. Why does he have to ask for mercy? Why did he say, just bless me because I've taken care of the poor? Well, you know something, he's not only taken care of the poor, he's done something else. Look what it says in verse 4. Lord, be merciful to me, heal my soul, means He'll heal me, for I have what? Sinned against you. He's in trouble again. And it's trouble of his own making. We don't know if this is the same trouble that he had in chapter 37, 38, 39, 40, we don't know that. But he's in trouble again, and uh, he cries out for God's mercy. Most likely he's sick. He's facing this trouble because of his sin. He's being disciplined. With one hand, God's disciplining him, and with the other hand, he's asking God to give him a blessing based on the fact that he was considerate of the poor. So David is suffering because he has has sinned. This is the result of sin. And look at what else he says in verse 5. My enemies speak evil against me. When will he die? And his name perish what his enemies are asking. Have we seen enemies before anywhere in this passage? Do we see any enemies in these verses so far? Look at the end of verse 2. He will deliver him... He will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The person that God blesses will not be delivered to the will of his enemies. And in verse 5, David says, Here are my enemies. They're speaking evil of me. And they're saying, When will they die? die? And his name perished. So he's in the same situation as the people he describes in verses 1 through 3. Now, he admits he's sinned. That's good. And uh, he considers the poor. So, that's good. So he says, I have sinned. And then in verse 4, he admits that. And he talks about his enemies in verse 5. And then look at verse 6. and if he comes to see me that's his enemy he speaks lies now isn't it interesting the enemy actually visits David which tells me something these are Jews these are probably people within his administration that want him out of office they don't say we're your enemy they actually try to pass themselves off as, as his friends and so they come to visit him and they they lie. Now, what are they really thinking inside? When's this old guy going to die? When's his name going to perish? But, when they come to visit him, they lie. They say, how you doing, old buddy? I hope you're feeling better today. You have any other visitors? You know, We've been praying for you. How long is it going to be before he dies? There's hypocrisy here. And that's what he's describing. Enemies who in a sense, present themselves as his friends. And then he says at the end of verse 6, his heart gathers iniquity to itself. Because he just keeps piling up sin, That the lying visitor. His heart gathers iniquity. Piles it up. It's not just that he lies to me and says, how are you doing, when he really doesn't care. But his heart gathers, it piles up iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. Oh, boy, he's really sick. We only have a little bit of time now. He uh, starts spreading the rumors of David's uh, time is up. And he says in verse 7, All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. He's talking about a conspiracy here. They're doing it together. Uh, the only reason they visited him in the first place was to see how... Soon he would die. So they can go out and give a report and say, boy, let's get things ready. He only has about three more weeks. Let's get. We need to be ready to move right in when he when he dies and take over. So that's what they're descri- what David's describing here. Look what they say in verse 8. This is interesting. An evil disease, they say, clean's doing. He's not going to get through this one. <laughs> this is one that's going to finish him off. An evil disease, they say, clings to it. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. That is their evaluation of David's situation. That's a human evaluation. And look at this in verse 9. Even my own familiar friend, my good friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. It's not only his enemies that have turned against him. One of his best friends has turned against him. Somebody he's brought into his house and sat down and ate with and broke bread with. It's... It'd be one thing if this guy just turned his back on David, but he doesn't say he's turned his back on him. What does he say he's done? Turned his heel against him. Uh, a reference to, uh, in a sense, uh, give him a good swift kick while he was down. Double-crossed him. Nothing worse than being double-crossed by a friend. When Julius Caesar was being assassinated, he looked up and saw his best friend. He said, You too, Brutus? They too, Brutus? David knows what it's like to be turned on by a best friend because his main advisor, Ahithophel, went to the side of Absalom when Absalom was trying to overthrow David and his government. His key advisor, this would be like the secretary of state, the chief of staff, turned on him and went with Absalom in order to overthrow the government. So this guy kicks David while he's down, turns his heel on him. Now, it's very interesting to me that Jesus quotes that verse. Now read that verse again. Even my own familiar friend in whom I've trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now I want you to take your Bibles, keep your finger here, go over to John 13. You're familiar with this passage, but you just didn't realize where it came from. John 13. And look down about verse 8. We have the Last Supper. Verse 18 rather verse 18. John 13 verse 18. And look what he says. I do not speak concerning all of you. He's talking in the Last Supper. I know whom I've chosen. But that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Look down to verse 26. It is he Whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. And after the piece of bread Simon, Satan entered him and Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. And the apostle had no idea what Judas was going to do. In fact, one of the passages, I think one of the other gospels, it says, Judas was the one who carried the purse and they thought maybe he was going to go out and give some money to the poor. The one that Jesus trusted, Judas, the one to whom was given the care of all their funds, turns on Jesus, betrays him to the Pharisees and eventually to Rome and Jesus is put to death. So this is what David is saying about his enemies. So when you go back there, just think about what's happening here. This is the kind of traitor that David's talking about. A good friend, maybe you've had a good friend, who's betrayed your trust, been a double-crosser, acted like a friend, but you know something? When you're on your deathbed, like David was at this point, it seemed like he was, you really find out who your real friends are, don't you? The ones that stick by you are the ones who betray you. So uh, Judas, when he went out and betrayed Jesus, he had all the money. They never saw that money again. Just think about that. Not only did Jesus die, they never saw that money again. It wasn't like he came back and said, Hey guys, I decided to give all this money back. No, he threw money back at the Pharisees and chief priest and goes out and hangs himself. We have no idea where that money went. He probably wouldn't have gotten drunk tonight money. Maybe he gave it away to somebody that he knew. But they never got that money back. Now, when you see that, go back to Psalm 41 and look at verse 10. So that's what happens. His enemies turn against him. Even his friend turns against him. Verse 9. But watch verse 10. But you, O Lord, notice the contrast. You see it? But you, O oh Lord, in contrast to his traitorous friend and his enemies, be merciful to me and raise me up. Now, why is that important? Because what did his enemies say? He's, lie- he's laying down and he will never rise up. That's what they just said, didn't they? Where did they say that? Into verse 8. You see that? Now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. But look what, Jesus, uh, what David says in verse 10. But you, O Lord, be merciful me, and raise me up. So here's the contrast. No matter what they think, no matter what their plots are, if you have considered the poor, the plight of the poor, even if you sinned like David, you can ask God to bless you in this way. And David knows that he will. Now, it is interesting that in verse 10 he asked for mercy. Do you see that? This whole section opened up in verse 4 with mercy. O Lord, be merciful to me. And now in verse 10, But you, O Lord, be merciful to me. That's how we know that makes a section. Verses 4 through 10. That word mercy, in a sense, serves as bookends around that middle section of the psalm. So that's what he says. Now look at the end of verse 10. Raise me up. Now watch this. That I may repay him. What in the world does that mean? Get me better so I can, what, cut his head off? I can take revenge? We don't know what that means. Or does he mean I can repay him good for his evil? I mean, that's how Jesus taught, wasn't it? Repay good for evil. I'm not sure that's what David means. <laughs> David probably means like, can get them out of office and uh, they will never do this again. Uh, so it's interesting when David says, raise me up, he says, do it so that I can repay them. That's his purpose statement there, which is not Whatever it means. It doesn't sound good for, this, for his enemy. Now we come to the last section and we see that David has the assurance of these blessings. And look what he says in verse 11. He says, by this I know that you're well pleased with me how does he know this because my enemy does not triumph over me he's getting better he knows he's not going to die he knows his enemy is not going to win the victory over him and uh, he says i know that you're well pleased with me look at that i know you're well pleased with me well pleased with his sin is god well pleased with his sin no he's had to say he's had to admit that he's a sinner so what would God be well pleased with? The fact that he considers the plight of the poor. That's how the psalm opened. That's what God's pleased with. And because of that, even though David's a sinner, God can bless him. And he can bless us just as well. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity. Because that's the one area that he Remained righteous in, and you set me before your face forever. You never cast me out. It's like Jesus says, I'll never leave you, you nor know, forsake me. Uh, so here we have David knows that God is for him, and if God's for him, even his enemies, if they're against him, it means absolutely nothing. And now we come to verse 13, which is the doxology this is how the whole thing is blessed be the Lord God of Israel now how did Psalm 41 open blessed be he who considers the poor that's a blessing that's a beatitude that God gives upon us and then in turn David blesses the Lord blessed be the Lord God of Israel He returns the blessing. So that's what we're to do. God blesses us and we are to return the blessing. And here's what he says. He gives a doxology. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, which is sort of the strongest way you can say for a long, 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 long time. And then he says, Amen and Amen. He ends the psalm. In fact, he ends the section of the whole book. With a double affirmation. Amen and amen. Now it's interesting that when you look at each one of the books of Psalms, this was book one, it ends with a double affirmation, a praise and a double affirmation. Every book of Psalms ends the same way. Look over at 72, for example, and 19, 72 19. That concludes, uh, yeah, that concludes the second book. Look what he says. 7219, he says, Blessed be his glorious name forever, that the whole earth be filled with his glory. Now watch the double affirmation. Amen and amen. Look at Psalm 89, which concludes the third section of Psalm Psalm 89. And look at verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. This is Psalm eighty-nine, fifty-two. Blessed be the Lord forever. Look at the double affirmation. Amen and amen. And that ends that book. Fourth book goes to what? 106. So let's go over to 106. Now watch this double affirmation little different. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. That's sort of familiar. Let all the people say, Amen. That's the first affirmation. Look at the second. Praise the Lord. Double affirmation. Now look at the end of Psalms. Psalm 150. Look how that ends. Verse 6 With everyone that has breath Look at this Affirmation number one Praise the Lord And then the second time Praise the Lord So you see the five books All close with a doxology And some sort of double praise Or double affirmation And so the first book of Psalms Closes with God blessing the person Who considers the poor And we see it happening in David's life, and we learn a very important principle here, that when we bless the poor, God blesses us. This is an Old Testament only, this is New Testament. Remember Jesus, the first sermon he preaches, he stands up in the synagogue, he opens up to Isaiah 61, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Set free those that are captive. Help those that are oppressed. Jesus basically came to the poor. To the rich young ruler who wanted eternal life, he said, What must I do? Jesus said, Just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Let me tell you something. This is so important. It's a great judgment. (coughs) Jesus said, well, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. When did we see you in that situation, Lord? Because you haven't done it to the least of these. My brother, you haven't done it to me. So when we minister to the poor, we minister to Christ. And look, we don't have to be rich to minister to the poor. A can of food a week. A dollar a week. You know how much? classroom of 160 people, 160 cans of food, how many families? That would help in a week for poor. $160 a week times four, would that pay for somebody's apartment? Would that help them if they were $50 short and there were 10 families that are $50 short in Sandy's complex? See, you don't have to be rich to help the poor. You can just share a little. And if you do it consistently, and we do it regularly, and we consider, right now, always, not just in the past, we consider the plight of the poor. God blesses us. How does he bless us? blesses us like this. It's so important that David closes his first book of Psalms with that lesson that he wants it to stick. Hopefully it will in our lives. Father, we thank you that we can. Take the little that you've given us. Consider the needs thoughtfully of those who have less. Godly people who have less. And we can be your hand extended to them. Lord, help us to realize that this is where the blessing comes. This is what you mean when you say it's more blessed to give. The blessing comes with the giving. It's more blessed to give than receive. Help us to take this lesson to heart, apply it to our lives, realize that we not only get a blessing in giving, but we get a blessing when we get in trouble or we get sick or our enemies turn against us. We we have a you standing by our side to deliver us from these situations. The Lord help us to take the lesson to heart and put it into practice daily. In Christ's name we pray, amen.